How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Hello there, very good day to you all. Welcome to another episode of How I Got Here. These are Focus, uh, Focus Wire and Mozio's uh, inside stories around innovation and startups, travel and transportation. Uh, we're delighted for this episode to be joined by uh, Wen Wen Lam. She's the CEO and co-founder of Next Travel based in uh, California. It's a Y Combinator startup uh, focused on the business travel sector. It creates tools for companies to book and manage their travel and lots and lots of other things that we'll get into into this episode. Uh, the company has so far raised uh, 4.7 million over two rounds. Uh, the most recent one was 2.4 million, which was announced a couple of weeks ago, but was actually uh, uh, signed off in September of last year. So uh, a very warm welcome, uh, Wen Wen. Thank you for joining us on How I Got Here. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Okay, no bother at all. As always, with every single episode of this podcast, we always ask you, uh, each guest if they could tell us uh, briefly, how did you get here? Yeah, for sure. So um, one of the things that people don't talk about that much um, is that you know people very rarely start out with the idea that they, they originally conceived. And so one of the things that really played into how we got here is we started this whole thing as a consumer travel company that was very similar to an Airbnb for trips. And, you know, the business model for that entire thing is just really difficult and it's a very hard idea to execute. And so one of the things that me and my co-founder did initially was we took our backgrounds, our respective backgrounds, to see um, what we could do to make the business work. Um, so while we were doing the, the pivot, we actually talked to over a hundred companies um, to see what they actually wanted in the travel space. So this was um, 2014. Um, we actually incorporated early 2013 and we had just been tinkering around with the idea of doing something without any flights or hotels. Um, we wanted to create a travel experiences and I think a lot of travel companies, but we actually sat down and spoke to companies. They all had the same issues. And they were all saying, like, the tools that we have today are completely inadequate. And so um, once we were able to kind of figure out what they wanted, we were able to kind of build bit by bit um, and, and kind of get to a launch in 2015. And we actually got into YC with the current iteration of what we're doing now. Obviously, we've developed the company quite a bit since then. Um, but um, prior, prior to that, um, we were literally looking at doing the exact opposite. I think um, one of the things that really made um, made it possible for us to be able to do this actually was my enterprise sales um, background and my partner's, um, my co-founder's gaming background because we were able to kind of test a bunch of stuff early on to make sure that we actually were getting it right on the product mar market fit part. Okay, thank you very much, Wen Wen. I mean, uh, that that's quite a long a long kind of history of the company there. I'd like to kind of go right back because you said it started off as something very different. So, what gave you mm -hmm. the inspiration for that idea? And it you know it sounds like you know certainly with the speed of your the way you've just talked us through it. Did you come to the realization that a consumer play and a pivot to what Next Travel is now? Did that happen fairly quickly? Um, it took probably about a year, to be honest. I think you always kind of hang on to that first idea because you're like, man, I really love this. 
Um, and I think loving to travel and building a business around loving to travel are two completely different things. Um, so one of the things that like we really were tinkering with at that time, we were putting up all these landing pages with like, you know, get, you know, cool experiences for tickets to, you know, go to the zoo or something like that, or go to like exclusive restaurants or nightclubs. And I've seen lots of businesses try to do this. Um, but ultimately we were finding that we were spending a lot of money just testing things and we weren't really getting conversions. And that's kind of what prompted us to get to a point where we needed to pivot. Um, at the pivot time, we literally tried on four or five different ideas. Some of them were actually not even close to travel at all. So we were looking at, you know, um, custom made tailoring <laughs> clothing and stuff like that. So um, it took us quite a while to get to the pivot. And so the build out of it took about six months once we got there, but it takes a lot of time to gather the data and to see what's actually a viable idea. So just, just on that then, when you decide, it's interesting that you said that, you know, you had the original idea and you were, you know, I, I guess in a way it's like, you know, it's like your baby, isn't it? You're very keen to hang on to it because it was the first thing that you came up with. But you said you went through a couple of other ideas, some which weren't related to travel. What was it that gave you the kind of the eureka moment, if we can call it that, that the a business travel startup is the direction that you should take your company? Well, there were a couple things. And the, the first thing was that I already knew how to sell to businesses. So I was pretty yeah. early at LinkedIn. And so as a result, we had to essentially find product market fit when I was there as well, um, because we didn't have anything like to monetize when I was at LinkedIn. It was mostly looked at as a quote unquote business consumer platform. And so I think that that was one piece of it because I already knew how to sell into businesses. And I also thought that the market was more attractive because instead of, you know, you've got, you've got a very low margin business with travel where you're making one, two, three dollars off every transaction. Right. Um, and so in order to really build a business, you really have to look at it and say, how can I get a whole chunk of travel at the same time? And the only way, I could really think of doing that was was to sell selling something to businesses. I didn't know what specifically, but I knew that um, it was something in that vertical. And, and interestingly, I mean, business travel is such a a, a well defined kind of part of the industry and has lots of uh, structure and disciplines to it. When you um, mm -hmm. when you were seizing on this opportunity, okay, this is the way we're going to go, right? Come on, let's let's this is the way. Who did you kind of draw any inspiration from in terms of other companies that were in the space? Did you look at other uh, younger businesses, startups, or did you look at the, you know, the, 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 the giant, uh, dare we say, dinosaurs of the travel management company world? I mean, who, who did you look to for inspiration? So we actually were looking at all of the big dinosaurs and realizing that they weren't filling the needs of the customers. So I wouldn't call it necessarily inspiration, but yeah. we just spoke to so many people that were like, we don't want to be using a brick and mortar travel agent. And that was the biggest thing. And then, you know, people were using at that point, Agencia wasn't too big yet, but ev everyone like universally was using Concur and saying, I hate this. Um, so that, that was the biggest kind of takeaway because, when you find like people that are, you know, relatively young companies that are willing to switch to, at that point, we were a four person startup. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's when you would pretty much know that you've hit something, you know, you've hit the chord there. Um, and we saw a lot of that, you know, really in the first two years, because we were the first ones who really got into this market. I mean, I would say that we had customers before, you know, really any of the new startups um, out there. And a lot of them actually pivoted into, into where um, we were because they saw that it was working. Yeah. Quick follow-up. Uh, you said enterprise a bunch of times. Are you, are you talking about really big enterprise or mid-market or SMBs? What, what are you, just to clarify quickly before I ask a follow-up question. Um, mid-market and SMBs is our primary okay. focus. I think most companies um, are mid-market in terms of their travel spend. So um, that's um, even like the really big companies. Um, I think there's probably five 500,000 that spend a, a ton, a ton, and they have completely different needs. So we don't try to go there. So that's, that's kind of uh, colors my next question. So I feel like everyone kind of hates, you know, Salesforce, Concur, these, these massive companies that, but uh, I think of like Cvent too. And, you know, they are what they are though, because they satisfy a bunch of different criteria. And how did you really think about slicing that market up? And it sounds like one of those, those answers is don't focus on the, you know, the Deloitte's McKinsey's and Citibank's of the world. But um, I, I'm just curious how you approach that problem, thinking about which part of the market you were going to focus on and which features you were going to launch specifically. So you didn't bog, get bogged down and become one of those kind of massive, uh, you know, tangles of a, of a company. So we actually really had a really um, bottoms up approach, to be honest, because I don't think um, there are some differences in what a bigger company needs, but not it's not as crazy because even a really big company, and you'll notice this, sometimes won't even have a managed travel program. So once in a while, you'll come across a company that's spending like $10 million a year. That's just like, we book everything on Travelocity. <laughs> and um, you realize then that like really like the real MVP is the ability to be able to book the travel, right? And then to have the receipt. So those are just the core, the core functional pieces, but everything else around that, I think because it was, it, we were very, we were very much similar to like how Dropbox kind of approached it versus like a box, right? From a bottoms up approach, we realized that there was like issues that individual travelers were having themselves. Like we do have people that have their own companies and they're like one person and they still use us um, because of some of the functionality that we built in. And so we, we took the bottoms up approach definitely. Um, and then as we grew, we started building in more enterprise features. And to clarify, when you say Box versus Dropbox, you're referring to how Box started with the enterprise and was more thinking about enterprise use cases yep. where like Dropbox started with users wanting to sync certain things together. Is that the analogy? Exactly. Cool. Well, so could you expand a little more how you view the TMC OBT world? Because you are, um, you're looking uh, at, at building basically kind of a joint platform, if I'm not mistaken, or do you have agents or, or tell us a little bit about where you straddle those two worlds? Sure thing. So we, we did realize that um, a lot of mid-market companies did not want to be sitting around picking out an OBT and then a TMC also. And I think that um, I, just to call out like someone who did that really well was Egencia was to put everything in one package. Um, and so we were playing on that trend for sure. Um, that that was definitely um, something that was super key that a lot of people didn't want to do. Um, and we realized that customers really didn't care about the intricacies of those things unless they were saving like tens of millions of dollars 
because the savings just aren't there for you as a small company. And so we don't think of ourselves as a TMC or an OBT. We think of us ourselves as a travel company. What, uh, uh, Wen Wen, what difficulties did you face at all as a, as a as a kind of a young business trying to get into the the business travel game? When it was was it around um, contracting with supply partners such as airlines or hotels? I mean, did you did you find any of that particularly difficult, or did you have a process that you went through? Um, it was actually really difficult to get our first supplier on board. Um, so, like none of the TMCs wanted to work with us at all. They all wanted to see some sort of volume first. Um, and at some point, I went to this um, I went to this business conference. It's called GBTA, and I literally yeah, talked yeah. to I think fifty fifty people, <laughs> and I got one supplier out of it. And had it not been for um, that supplier, their um, Atlas Travel, we would not have been able to get the business off the ground just straight up it would it was not going to be possible so um back then there was a lot of resistance um to to tools like ours and why why is that well well, give us a sense of what the resistance was um it largely disrupts their business right because we're saying hey everybody should be booking stuff online and you know in 2013 i think i was looking at the stats for my first guest i think something like 50 percent um, of people were still booking things via agent, if not more, it could have yeah. been 70. I don't remember anymore, but some high percentage. And now it's moved, you know, a lot towards, you know, people booking things really largely online during businesses because, and, and for during work hours. And it's because, you know, nobody really wants to pick up the phone and call an agent if they don't have to. Yeah. Um, but the technology tools were just built, um, you know, in a way to push everything to an agency back back in the day because, you know, travel agents existed way before the internet. Yeah, tell tell me it's it's interesting. You said if if you hadn't have got that first um that first customer, that first supplier, then things might have been very, very different. But once you did have that supplier, was that almost like a domino effect and it kind of came along very quickly behind them? Well, we didn't need other suppliers after that, really, because yeah. like, but what you really do need is just the ability to, to, um, to, to ticket, to issue a plane ticket. And, you know, the demand was always there largely. So we always had people that wanted something like this. And, you know, today, even when I'm building this business, I see some kind of things that kind of spring off the side of our business that people like universally want that nobody has built yet. So right. for sure, the demand is there. The supply side is more of the restriction. Very cool. So to clarify, you, you basically actually went to kind of a pseudo competitor, Atlas Travels, another TMC, and basically agreed to let them be your ticketing backend. Is that is that correct? Correct. Cool. <laughs> well, so I, I wanted to like steer <laughs> the, the, uh, the conversation to the other side of... of um, the, the kind of difficulty closing partners. So you said uh, that it was pretty easy. There was always demand. And um, I, I think that 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 actually stands out to me a little bit because I think most people who do enterprise sales into big companies are even mid-tier companies are, um, are often very annoyed um, by trying to pitch into to corporate. So I don't know if you have a magic touch, but that's actually, you mentioned a, you know, enterprise sales background at LinkedIn. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, Mozio, we've pitched a lot of you know, corporates over the years and, and we've kind of, uh, you know, gained certain insights. Um, if you could, 
uh, think of, you know, what is what are some of those insights you've had about how to close these guys? You know, is there a, you know, I know some of the simplest ones, of course, you know, build relationships, stuff like that. But is is there a, you know, a true insight you've had about how to approach uh, people in corporate travel and how uh, how to break through for these people who are weighing duty of care and cost and convenience and all these different things in one? So we did start with a smaller customer size, as I had mentioned, but the other big piece of it is we literally spoke to so many customers. So instead of like speaking to them and selling to them what existed, we were listening to them. Um, and the overwhelming thing that we realized is, you know, things are changing largely from a, you know, admin admin centric view to a user centric view. So really the end user starts to matter a lot more. So the, the worst thing for a travel manager is to have, you know, 10 people yelling at them because everything got screwed up. And of course, um, you know, everything's on their head and they're worried about getting fired. And so that's kind of why um, concur was the default option because you were never going to get fired for, for getting concur. And then the next level above that is you're not going to get fired for choosing that tool, but then everybody is complaining to you all the time. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen like the tweets and, you know, like the, you know, public stuff, but I mean, people really, really dislike Concur's travel tool. It's, it's a very much kind of hated type of thing. So, and what happened with, you know, the growth of all these technology companies is, is that, you know, and, and the, the job market really is that it became more important um, to make the end user happy and not just the admin finance person. So it became very important that employees were actually happier um, with internal tools. And you can even see that in, in a bunch of other places as well. Like, you know, there are a bunch of ATSs that popped up, um, applicant tracking systems that were geared towards creating a better process for hiring so that um, companies could put their best foot forward and and things like that. So yeah, that reminds me kind of how um, you know, someone joked, no one has ever fired for hiring Bain. Uh, and you know, it's the same type of thing. And, and so could you elaborate a little bit more on how do you get past that though? Because in, in, inevitably these companies do have heads of procurement. Um, and was it, is what you're saying is it was a natural trend that, you know, as more people were booking their own travel, like just the, the pendulum swung in the other direction, or did you like, or, or did you have a philosophy about how you approach these travel procurement managers to basically say, I know we're new, but take a risk on us because of X, Y, Z. Well, there were, there were two things that we did. We started with smaller customers. So our first two years was very much like SMB. So our biggest customer, I think that first year was probably spending like a million dollars a year. Um, and so like, if you look at that, you learn and you're able to build out your feature set for that. But once you get like your first big ish customer, then you get your second like big ish customer. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, five or six big ish customers. And then you take that and then you turn that into, you know, like 10 big ish customers. Right. And so it kind of, you kind of start having this, big ripple effect because you can say, hey, um, you know, Yelp is using us for travel. And and the other pieces, we looked at verticals where it'd be easier for us to um, kind of get in the market. So we were able to figure out that hiring departments, um, they didn't need procurement to sign into it. Like they just need their head of recruiting to come in and say, hey, we want to do this. And it's actually one of our popular products today. Um, we have something called Next Travel Hire, um, where solely, um, you know, hiring like their head recruiter 
will come in and say, hey, let's just, you know, do all of our hiring through Next Travel because they've built the correct product for it. And then there's a land and expand function there. And that's happened for us quite a few times as well. That's really cool, actually. And I remember reading about that. So can you ex- expand, maybe tell us a story about how you realized that? And, and did you stumble upon that? Did you have a, a, an intuition from the top <laughs> that, you know, you should go after recruiters? Or did you just kind of see it one day that, oh, wow, people are using this for this use case? Even small companies were using it. So I actually had a friend who was um, who had who had his own startup. He had like a 25 person startup and he was actually using, you know, our travel tool, trying to be a really great friend. Um, but also he would ask me for these things. So there are a couple of companies that helped us do this early on. And um, like there's it was called Cover. They were doing like a split payment thing. And they kept having to fly in candidates, like engineering candidates to New York. And so we realized then if a small company like that was doing that, we should try to market it to to bigger companies. And um, that's kind of how that was born. So uh, Wen Wen, if you can talk us through a little bit about how you've gone about raising money. So as we said in the the intro, there's been uh, two rounds. Uh, one in the last six months announced a couple of weeks ago. Um, but the, the previous one was in 2015, I believe, which is fairly soon mm-hmm. after you uh, pivoted and I guess relaunched as Next Travel as it is today. How did you go about getting that first round given that you had just pivoted or was that round gained on the back of planning to pivot? Um, so we did that first round out of YC, which is a completely different circumstance. Um, we actually did a seed extension. Sorry, the stuff is not accurate on, on countries. Um, yeah. Like about a year later of 1.1. So it was actually more like we raised one, we raised another one, and then we raised another two, two something. And, um, you know, it was from existing investors. So the same investors put in the last two rounds. But they actually just saw the traction that we were having. And we've been very conservative about the fundraise. Um, because we are in a super low margin business, right? So mm-hmm. really when it comes down to it, you've got to be pretty conscientious of how you build your business because we are a technology company, but we still sometimes get put in the bucket of, you know, travel agent. And so what you don't want to do is <laughs> completely wipe out all your optionality, um, you know, like early on. And that's kind of how we've approached it. Um, the other thing is sometimes when you overraise, you spend a lot of money on stuff that you don't need. So it forced us to be pretty disciplined as a company, you know, and have a very strong focus on profitability from the get-go. So our unit economics have always been strong. Our growth has always been strong. We've just been very much, you know, growing the company um, the way the com- a company should kind of be growing. And, um yeah, I mean, in, in that particular vein, then, when we've seen some other uh, similar types of companies that are raising uh, extraordinary amounts of money. And um, I just mm-hmm. wondered, what has the conversation been with your I- investors around the money that you that you need? Is it going back to the point that you just made when when about profitability and things like that, that you have raised, you know, you know frankly, very modest amounts compared to uh, a company like Trip Actions? Yeah, I mean they're pretty they're 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 pretty happy with it. I mean they know that our ROIs are just high, given how much we've raised just across yeah. the board compared to almost everybody. Um, we're just doing a lot of business, but instead of doing it based off of you know like fundraising, we're doing a lot of it based off uh, actual revenues. 
And so um, that's kind of a nice thing because then you keep a lot of control of your company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way, when you do go out to raise bigger amounts, then you do get to keep control all the way through. Um, so that's, that's like the really positive piece of it. So when, when we just interviewed Steve Hafner, who talked about how there were a bunch of other competitors to Kayak, like Mobisimo and um, uh, Sidestep, and how one of the main things, the reason they, they won, other than good execution, of course, was uh, you know, his skill as a fundraiser. And clearly, um, that's not the case in your segment of the industry. I think you know, uh, business also is a little more defensible than a uh, consumer. Uh, so I, I would love to hear a little bit more about how you decided that you didn't have to kind of participate in that fundraising rat race uh, compared to other companies that do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think right off the gate, we had a pretty smart strategy on the distribution side. So we were able to keep our customer acquisition costs relatively low. So um, Expensify was one of our first investors. So we were able to take advantage of that almost from the get-go. And that was like a huge boost for us because I think a strategic, in in this business specifically, a strategic partner is pretty, pretty important. And if you look at somebody like Concur and American Express, it did a lot for them versus um, some of their other competitors. Um, and as I had mentioned, um, you've seen people in our space specifically raise, you know, $500 million or more. Um, Reordering Commerce did that. And they were, you know, unable to kind of compete with Concur over time despite their raise. And I think it really just came down to strategy and execution. So um, I think that's, that's the kind of the the main thing that you've got to keep an eye on is look at your business, look at the unit economics, and then how do you get there um, and try to raise responsibly, right? And raise when you need to. And, you know, I think that's the the best thing that you can do. So it's great that you uh, mentioned Reardon Commerce's. Reardon Commerce's new uh, name is Deem. And uh, I know yeah. quite a lot about them because uh, they have a huge ground transportation product that Mozio works with. Um, but the way the reason why this is relevant is that the reason why they have a ground transportation product and they were just acquired by enterprise um, is because part of their business model was uh, as a new OBT was they were planning on giving away and, and not charging any fees for flights and hotel bookings and trying to make money off. This is the legend, at least I, and I think this is true. It's been confirmed a couple of times They're, They were going to try to make money off of things like ground transportation and insurance and everything other than flights and hotels. Uh, it, you know, it's a, my way of segueing into, I hear that you guys do not charge, booking fees either but you charge for integration and so could you like illuminate a little bit what your business model is and is that a strategic advantage yeah so i think i i think that our business model we we make money both sides actually and one of the things that we don't charge for a transaction fee but what we do is we do a licensing fee so companies are willing to pay for the software um and then on top of that um you know, um, obviously we make money off hotels like every other travel company, right? <laughs> so um, I think that to kind of, if you go pure OBT, that business model just isn't going to work for you um, because it's just not a good business. It's really, really hard to do, even at crazy volume because it's $2 a transaction um, and good technology is expensive to build, right? So that's kind of how you ended up with all of this like really bad technology on the concur side because they weren't making any money off of it versus expense where they were making a ton of money off of it. Um, and so I think that you could try to do what Deem did, but I don't quite think it worked as well as they thought it did. So you really got to figure out how, uh, how, how to get, yeah, how to, how to have it all. Exactly. 
No, yeah, I mean, they, I think you're completely right. And what's a good lesson to kind of circle back on, actually, for a lot of our listeners are uh, startup founders. Uh, you know, you get a lot of pressure from investors to go raise that $500 million in this case. And yeah. it's not always the smart idea. And especially, I remember... Mozio got all this pressure to, to raise a lot of money. And uh, we basically said, you know, if I have an extra $3 million, I wouldn't be doing anything different than I'm doing right now. Um, and that was kind of how we decided to not raise more. So, I, you know, I think your restraint is admirable. But, you know, over to you, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, I mean, how does the company expand from here? I mean, how do you see it? Is it um, just more customers in um, the kind of the, the the region that you're in, North America, or do you have designs on uh, other parts of the world? Because you know we've we've talked a bit about uh, trip actions and the vast sums of money that they've raised, but you know here in Europe, where I'm based, uh, Travel Perk is uh, is raising lots of money. There's Travel Stop in the Far East that's not raised as much money, but as equally am- as ambitious as everybody else, including yourself. How do you view? expansion and growth either geographically or organically within your own region so i think that it's but for us it's best to focus on the u.s market i would yeah. say that you know the you know the the playground is kind of set here and we know who we compete with on a very regular basis and we have our different strengths and weaknesses but like we're pretty solid there's a lot of infrastructure stuff that needs to get built to service a global market. And I believe that travel perk is actually the best position to do that because they're having to build out different things than just, um, just an agency, right? They're having to build out a bunch of different point of sales. They're having to build out every Mm -hmm. single region. And so that's an infrastructure play versus like, you know, a SaaS play almost. Um, So um, I don't know if that's what they're doing by the way, but I would guess, with a hundred million dollars, that's why they raised that. <laughs> okay, and and I mean, how does that? Do, are you happy to be almost like a service company? Are them do all that infrastructure building for you almost, or is or am I reading it the wrong way? Um, I just don't think that it's good to defocus too much in a into a place where you don't execute right. So one of the key things that where businesses do do fail is they lose their focus. And so in order to like build a good business, you've got to focus day in, day out on doing what you do super well versus, you know, expanding too much and it's hurt a bunch of businesses um, to do that, especially like as a young company. And so that's kind of the answer that I give. And I think that from the get go, their focus just may have been different, right? Because they know that they're in Europe. They know they have to service Spain and London and France and stuff like that. But the U.S. market is just so big that if you don't have to do it, why would you? And tell us, you know, four or five years in now, I mean, what, what would you say has um, uh, surprised you about the market that you, you that you eventually ended up in after the, the pivot and the decision making that you needed to do? Is there anything that you've thought, well, I didn't expect that to happen? You know, I didn't expect the supply side to be so difficult. I thought it would mm. always be the demand side, just as you guys thought (laughs) but like that was not the reality the reality was that the supply side was always intensely more difficult than the demand side for us um so i know it sounds backwards but it seems like you know at least back in the day we were more gated by you know the airlines and hotels and even today i would say that 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 would maybe still hold relatively true yeah and 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 last of all i i think it would be useful to um 
uh, to kind of get your thoughts. You were a founder in the, the, the mid to late 2000s of an organization called Women 2.0. And uh, mm-hmm. I just I wondered if you, yeah, I just wondered if you could kind of talk us through that. What was the idea behind it? What did you achieve, first of all? And then I'll, I'll come back with a, with a second part question. Okay, yeah. So we did start Women 2.0 pretty early on. It was almost by accident. It was an organization for women because at that point, there weren't very many women in tech at all. Yeah. Um, and like specifically, not very many, not very many women starting companies not very many women even getting into management level positions. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about it today, but we kind of just wanted to create a community of people that could actually talk about it. Cause I, you know, I was very early on in my career. And so um, we, we literally just wanted to build a community where people could start thinking about it. I mean, I remember we started this thing called the napkin business challenge where people would write their ideas and we would go raise like a really small amount of money just so that somebody could like have, you know, $10,000 or $50,000 to start something and get in front of a bunch of VCs um, early on, because there's also very little education that that was something that like women could do. And, you know, even I would say, even when I started this company, it was really only just starting to heat up like this whole, whole notion of women being able to raise a lot of venture capital. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's way further along today, but I think, if we hadn't kind of started bringing a lot of awareness to it back then, you know, it may have never happened. And that's what we did. We literally started it like, you know, in our living rooms, right. With me and Shy and Angie and such. And we threw events at my San Francisco apartment. Um, And, you know, we met a lot of really great people through all of that, but it was really, really like grassroots at that time. So so t- 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 tell us, uh, when, when, I mean, what experience have you had, if any, with, um, we've had a couple of um, uh, guests on how I got here, uh, uh, female entrepreneurs who've um, frankly had some problems with raising money. They've been met with a degree of re- resistance or maybe resistance is the wrong word, but um, downright bias is perhaps, is, is perhaps a better word because they were uh, female founders. Is that something that you've experienced or... Or, or not? So one of the things that I noticed the most was that wasn't that I wasn't able to raise money. And I mm-hmm. think my investors are really awesome, to be honest. But I think it was more about like the valuation and then the amount. And so like that was a really interesting takeaway because it makes you build your business very differently, right? If you've got okay. a ton of money and you've just got to like burn through, you know, a ton of money on marketing, you build it differently than like a, a business with super strong unit economics. And so I would say that things have changed in that women can raise money if they have a good business, right? And they can tell the story and they need to learn how to sell themselves better. I would say uh, one of the things that women do poorly is maybe sell themselves super well. And I'm, I myself am like, you know, a victim of that as well. But I would also say um, that it's now possible for women to raise money, but they can't expect the valuations unless they've hit like the correct cord. And I I would say that that's changing today, though. Like, I mean, you see the away, like the away co-founders, like raise a big round. Um, You've seen like guys like Birchbox come out. And so as like there become more and more wins, then you'll see more and more women be able to raise more and more money. And like one of the things, that I'm super focused on actually is instead of like, you know, 
particularly in this case, maybe I don't build a multi-billion dollar unicorn, but what I'm building for is a win. And in my book, right, a company that is like on its way to profitability, that's processing hundreds of millions of dollars every year, which we certainly are at this point, is like getting into that kind of vertical of, hey, we're, we're, you know, becoming winners. And by not raising too much money and by producing some sort of win, it's going to make it easier for women to do it. the next generation, the next generation. It was actually one of my goals, um, starting Women 2.0 and actually this company as well. It's, it's, it's something that uh, you'd like to resurrect in, in terms of creating another organization but for, for those in travel. I say this because the, uh, my sister company, Focusrite, is very interested in this area. I just wondered if, it was, if you feel that there is a need for uh, an organization like that to be created again. I think that there's supports that generally support systems are really good for this type of thing. So I'm often at tables where it's only men. Um, and I'm really lucky that I have tons of mentors that have done great companies. Um, yeah. But like I said, they're mostly men um, and that's fine, but it, it is helpful if um, there are, there's a sense of sisterhood if, if women are doing the same thing. So yeah. I don't know necessarily if we need another organization, but you know, some sort of structure where you can get mentorship and advice and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Thank you, Women. David. Oh, very cool. Um, well, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, Wen Wen. Uh, this has been How I Got Here, Mozio and Focus Wire's podcast about innovation and travel and transportation. See you next week. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.